0: From the newsroom of The Washington Post.
1: Hello, hey, Here's Louisa from The Washington Post. Hi,
0: this is Beth Reinhardt at The Washington Post. It's Lori Aritani over at The Post. I'm This is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Wednesday, May 26th. Today, a reporter's view on covering the Supreme Court and the big questions about its future, plus the secret life of audio producers... I want to start, Robert, by telling you about my experience of seeing this release of decisions from the Supreme Court every summer. When I used to be like a summer intern, I would see these videos of the summer interns from the news stations who would be at the courthouse, grabbing these decisions, like racing through the courthouse and out onto the steps of the court with the decision in their hands. Bill, stand by. We want to go back now to the Supreme Court. Uh, You see some of the interns running out with the decisions. Jan Crawford has more information. Jan, what have you learned? And I was always like, oh, man, I wish that I worked for those people so they they could be running through the streets with a Supreme Court decision in my hands. But um, that's all to say that I feel like this is a very uh, exciting time every year when these decisions are about to come out.
1: Yeah. At the, at the court, we call that the running of the interns. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we didn't have that last year and we're not going to have it again this year because the court is still operating virtually. And mm. so we sit and refresh our computers over and over.
0: It <laughs> Sounds less exciting and less like a workout. So, Robert Barnes, you have been covering the Supreme Court for The Post since 2006. And so this is like an annual thing for you, right? It it
1: is an annual event and one that, you know, is always sort of exciting. And it is a rush because, you know, the justices are just like the rest of us. They wait until deadline before (laughs) filing. And so what they've got until the end of June Often for these very big cases, they're going to wait until the end of June.
0: Well, so for you, like, how do you prepare for this onslaught of these critical, important cases that could change the future of our country? Like, do you have a a story that's ready for all of these big cases? It's like, okay, if they rule this way, this is a story ready to run. If they rule this way, we have another story that's ready to run.
1: Yes. As a matter of fact, I have lots of stories written that will never appear, never see the light of day (laughs) because the court went the other way. I almost always have some background on the case written because that's stuff that's not going to change, you know, no matter what the court does. Sometimes on very big cases, when we want to get something out immediately, I will have two or three or even four leads ready to go. So that wow. we can get something out as quickly as possible. We'll have alerts prepared that basically just give you the outcome of the case.
0: That's fascinating. You mentioned that, of course, the, the court is still in this kind of virtual pandemic mode.
1: We will hear argument next in case 2444, United States versus Gary. Mr. Ellis. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court. We will hear argument next in case 2440, Minerva Surgical Incorporated versus Hologic Incorporated. Mr. Hockman? Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court. We will hear argument next in case 2382, Territory of Guam versus United States. Mr. Gar? Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court.
0: And and I wonder for you and your job, how has that made things different?
1: Once the court went to this new hearing mode in which they do it by teleconference, those are live, and so anyone can listen in. C-SPAN runs them, and so anyone can listen in real time to the questions that the justices ask and how the lawyers answer them, but we don't see the justices, and it's a very different kind of hearing than what we are used to. In the old days, when it's in person, it's very rapid fire. Each justice asks a question whenever he or she wants to. It Mm. moves fast, and frankly, you get a little better idea of what concerns the justices about the case. In the format that they use now, it's very programmed. The chief justice goes first and asks question of the lawyer, and then as everything With the Supreme Court, it goes by seniority. Then Hmm. Justice Clarence Thomas, who's the most uh, long-serving member of the court, he goes next. And then Justice Stephen Breyer. And, you know, it tends that each justice will ask sort of tough questions of both sides, which they might normally not have done under the old system. And so for reporters, it's a little harder sometimes to figure out how the court is going to come out on a case just by the questions that are asked.
0: Hmm. Well, also, you mentioned Clarence Thomas specifically, and and he has always stuck out in my mind is has this reputation of being this quiet presence on the bench. What has it been like to hear more from this normally very quiet justice?
1: That's right. Justice Thomas has you know, basically gone for years at a time without asking a question from the bench. He's explained that by saying he thinks there are already enough questions asked of the lawyers without him chiming in and that it should be their time to sort of present their case. No Mm -hmm. other justice agrees with that kind of outlook. But in this new format, he has asked questions, I think, in every single case.
0: But uh, in the case of uh, petitioners, Uh, How does that work? Because they clearly were not admitted at the borders. So, is that a fiction? Uh, Is it metaphysical? What is it?
1: And so, it does offer an opportunity to hear more about what's on his mind and how he sees the case. He often is sort of idiosyncratic and comes at the cases with a different point of view on the law than the other justices. So, it's been good to hear his questions.
0: So, obviously, this is a kind of new era of the court because it's the first year where Justice Amy Coney Barrett is part of the bench.
2: So, Mr. Adler, let me just pick up right there. Is your position essentially then that penalty is kind of a shorthand that pulls in? And Justice Kavanaugh alluded to this, everyone who was sentenced under the prior crack cocaine
0: disparity. And I'm wondering, like, what do you think is the big question that you have about where this court is at. Like, when you look at these decisions as a whole that are going to be coming out over the next month, like, what do you think is the kind of existential question at stake here?
1: Well, I think there are two parts to that. One, this is not the most ambitious term for the court. It doesn't have a docket as controversial as it had last year, for instance. There aren't as many big cases, and that's typical when a new justice joins the court. The court tends not to take a lot of huge cases or throw the new justice in right away on some very controversial issues. So, you know, we may end this term without knowing a whole lot about Justice Barrett. On the other hand, we do know some things already. We know that she sides with uh, her fellow conservatives almost all of the time. We know that she impacted the way the court decided some emergency applications related to COVID restrictions. These are COVID restrictions on church gatherings, and she absolutely shifted the court's majority that much more often sided with the churches saying that they had a constitutional right to worship, that these COVID restrictions couldn't impinge. We've also seen for next term that the court has taken two cases that they wouldn't have taken under the old court membership. One, they've taken a case about the right to carry a gun outside someone's home to get a license to carry a weapon. The court has not taken a big Second Amendment case in a decade until she joined the court. And the court has taken a very controversial abortion law up, a Mississippi law that basically bans the procedure after 15 weeks. Hmm. You know, there are lots of laws like this that states have passed to try to challenge Roe v. Wade. The court has not accepted that challenge that lower courts have struck those down and the Supreme Court has refused to get involved. But just recently, the court said it was going to take up that Mississippi case in its next term beginning in October. That wouldn't have happened, I don't think, if Justice Ginsburg was still on the court and Justice Barrett was not there.
0: And I'm sure this question of, like, how conservative has the court really shifted is a question that's also in people's minds for this round of cases that are going to be decided uh, in the next few weeks. Can you kind of tick through the laundry list of, like, what are some of the cases that you're going to be having
1: your eye on? Well, one is the Affordable Care Act. The Affordable Care Act has been the law of the land for 10 years. The healthcare care sector has reshaped itself in reliance on the law. Tens of millions of Americans rely on it for health insurance that they previously couldn't afford. Millions more rely on the act's other protections and benefits. To assume that Congress put all of that at risk when it amended the law in 2017 is to attribute to Congress a recklessness that is both without foundation and reality and jurisprudentially inappropriate. This is the third big challenge to the Affordable Care Act that's come to the Supreme Court. It's a somewhat complicated case, but it boils down to whether or not some changes that Congress made when Republicans controlled Congress and President Trump was in the White House, whether those meant that the uh, so-called individual mandate to buy health insurance should be considered unconstitutional. And mm-hmm. if that's a case, whether the whole entire Affordable Care Act has to fall or whether that can be separated out. From oral argument, it sounded as if there was a majority on the court that would say even if the individual mandate now is unconstitutional, that doesn't mean that this entire law and sort of all of its aspects that people like, such as keeping your kid on your insurance policy until they're 26, that all of that doesn't have to fall. But, you know, the case was argued in November. We still don't have a decision in it. And so that indicates that there is not unanimity on the court about these issues. Hmm.
0: So that's the Affordable Care Act. Um, Questions about that. What are some of the other issues that are going to be coming up?
1: There's an interesting case that looks at sort of the issue of religious liberty versus a city's desire to protect gays and lesbians from discrimination. I think here, Your Honor, at the end of the day, what the city has done is worse than cutting off its nose despite its face. What it is doing is cutting off homes from the most vulnerable children in the city despite the Catholic Church. And that's a case from Philadelphia where the city, for the longest time, had a contract with Catholic Services and the Catholic services sort of vetted couples who wanted to become foster parents. But Catholic charities refused or said that it wouldn't work with same-sex couples because that violated the church's teaching on marriage. Philadelphia said that that violated the city's law against protecting gays and lesbians from discrimination, and they moved to end the contract with Catholic Services. So the court took up that case also in November, and we don't have a decision in it yet. But it could provide a real clear test of whether religious organizations are exempt from city and state anti-discrimination laws. So,
0: Robert, there's one last thing that I want to ask you about, which is Justice Stephen Breyer. He is 82 years old. He has been on the court since 1994. And there are a lot of calls for him to retire, especially calls from Democrats who want to see another more liberal justice replace him eventually. So is Breyer going to retire?
1: Well, if I knew that, I I would be Not in journalism, but in playing the (laughs) stock market, right? We don't know. He has sent some sort of conflicting signals, which in one area, his friends and former law clerks say that, of course, he's considering it. On the other hand, he just hired a full contingent of clerks Hmm. to start next term. Now, that doesn't always mean something. Usually those clerks end up with other justices if the justice decides to retire. But, you know, it just sort of adds to the general, we don't really know what he's going to do. I have to say, I've, it's rare that you see such a concerted campaign to get someone to <laughs> retire.
0: I wonder if it feels kind of rude to him to have all these people be like, leave the court now, please. Yeah,
1: I mean, you know, this group demand justices hired a truck to drive around, you know, telling Breyer to retire. But,
0: but well, just to be fair, I want to point out like why there is so much urgency, though, because, I mean, I think that when you think about where the Senate is right now, obviously the Senate would need to confirm a justice. But the phrase that I keep seeing people use is that like Democrats are basically one cancer diagnosis away from losing the majority in the Senate and that this could be an actual very narrow window to be able to replace Breyer with someone that they really want to have in his seat.
1: That's right. And, you know, it's interesting that we have gotten to the point where we think that a Supreme Court nominee can't be confirmed unless a party controls both the White House and the Senate. Mm -hmm. It used to not be like that. But You know, the partisan politics have reached very deeply into this confirmation process. And, you know, there is the example of Justice Ginsburg. She resisted calls to retire while President Obama was in office so that he could nominate her successor. You know, she was quite frank about the idea that she didn't think that Trump was going to be elected. She stayed on and she didn't make it to the end of his term. She died in September The Republican Senate moved very quickly to nominate and confirm Barrett, despite Ginsburg's wish that the next president be allowed to do that. And so there is certainly reason for Democrats to be concerned about it. The other thing is, you know, President Biden has said that he would nominate the court's first African American woman with his first nomination. And so... There are Democrats who say it would be fitting for a liberal justice like Breyer to step aside now to make sure that that could happen.
0: Robert Barnes is the Supreme Court reporter for The Post. This story was produced by Rennie Svernofsky. And now one more thing about our show. A few weeks ago, we got a letter from a listener named David, and he wanted to know about our credits. Recently, you may have heard, we've been adding the names of people who work on our podcast to each story. So we'll say, so-and-so produced the story. Today's episode was mixed by so-and-so. And David was really curious about this. He wrote to tell us that he doesn't really know what it means to produce a story or even to mix an episode of the show. And so he had this really great suggestion to devote a whole segment to pulling back the curtain on what exactly a producer does. So we called up our producers during their days. Hi. Hello. Hey, just one second. Hello. And we asked our producer and editor, Alexis Diao, to walk us through what a producer does. Okay,
2: I'm recording. This is file 23. How do I... It's funny when you ask me, like, what does a producer do? And I'm like, yeah, I don't like everything. (laughs) I mean, not everything, but a lot. I'm working on, like, eight different things. (laughs) And I love that. That's why I wanted to be on this team. Basically... The producer will do things like pitch a story. So first it starts with an idea. I'm interested in X. Apparently there's six new airlines launching in the next few months. This children's crusade piece. Civilian review boards. And I think a lot of the times people will think of the newsworthiness of a story as only something that is serious and important. But it's more than that. I mean, something that speaks to the fire in your belly. And that, I think is kind of what makes a, a great producer in a lot of ways, and being able to translate that. Then you pitch that story and you pitch it with, this is what I'm interested in and this is how we're going to get to it. I'm wanting, I want to ask why these new airlines think that they're going to succeed when we're still in the middle of a pandemic and a lot of people aren't flying. Then you say, this is who we're going to talk to and this is what it's going to sound like.
1: Police using what protesters decry as excessive force
2: this is what I'm hearing. And on our show, we kind of go back and forth and, you know, maybe push back a little bit, like, should we really do a story about it? And you kind of workshop the idea. I'm still, like, trying to work through what are the things that are interesting about this pitch. Then you start lining up the interviews.
0: Oh, shoot. I have to also email our source.
2: You start talking to people. You start pre-interviewing people. Okay.
1: I forgot that I had told, like, ten people I had to talk to them tonight. Anyway, sorry.
2: Oh, my gosh. No, it's Thank you so much. In our case, on our show, a lot of the people that we speak to are post reporters. It's it's
0: interesting, like, t- you know, working with people who are used to print and then translating, trying to translate their stories into, like, this medium makes me think harder about, like, oh, like, what what makes
2: a good story for audio? Like, how is this different from everything else? And so once you decide who you're going to talk to and what you're going to talk to them about, you set up a time. You figure out how you're going to logistically record with them. And we're going to be recording that at 745 tomorrow. And then you bring in your host. Great. Just get set up here. And of course, it is a collaborative process when you give Martine questions to figure out, you know, what's the best way. To go about the interview. I'm recording. Um... And you say, these are the questions that I have. This is the information that you need to know. I've put it all here in this document. We may have spoken to people who are on the ground asking them to record what they're seeing, what it feels like. Or in some cases, you're also interviewing experts. Yes, I am recording. And we take that sound. And that's what gives a conversation life. Well, you know, we all woke up this morning to these headlines that the CDC is recommending use of the vaccine be paused. We want to hit this clip.
1: When the is bad, there is likely... We
2: want to hit that clip. We want to make sure that we get in this information.
1: It gets needed resources of state and local governments to prevent layoffs of essential personnel.
2: So you're also thinking about what what is this going to sound like? India's Supreme Court says the country is facing a national emergency as its healthcare system buckles under a second wave of coronavirus.
1: What's the tape? This story is about the center of Kabul, about the green zone, and about the legacy that America will
2: leave... A lot of the times, there's a lot of thought going into the conversation that people ultimately
0: hear. Then... You do the actual interview. What does this moment represent to the country? The fact that in this one case, it does seem like this blue wall has actually fallen.
1: You know, some people have said that they are wary of drawing too much from a single criminal case.
2: Thinking about what people are walking away with. You're thinking about what questions the host is asking and how they're asking it. Yeah, you don't need to. Do no, thank you. So I think um, that should be good, Yeah, if you could just... Uh, you- Martine, re-ask the question, and Mark, I'm going to have you re-answer using that tape. Sure thing.
0: So what is the immediate reaction that we have seen so far from this verdict?
1: Uh, we have colleagues on the ground in Minneapolis right now, and what they're hearing is just this, this emotional outpouring on the streets right now.
2: Then you say goodbye, people send in their audio, and then you start putting it together. You open up your audio editing program, and then you'll take Martins, we call them tracks, and you pull them in. You clean them up, you do the necessary engineering to make them sound, um, believe it or not, better.
0: Okay, so national reporter Mark Berman, it is Wednesday at 5.15 p.m. Tell me what just happened.
2: So you lay up your tracks, you lay up the voices, so the conversation kind of matches each other.
0: They're like visually represented
2: with like waveforms, like middle school physics, when you're like, oh, this is what sound looks like. The way that people decide like what they're gonna keep, what makes it to the final product and what doesn't make it to the final product. Everybody has their own process of doing this. I usually like focus quite a bit on the intro because I want it to be, I want it to be engaging. Uh, without giving away too much. I'm a recondo of the conversation. You know, take the parts that are most compelling and I clean them up. I try to make the conversation a little more snappier. I try to make sure it hits the right rhythm and the right tone that we're looking for. If it's a serious conversation, then it has to have a serious tone. If it's a lighter conversation about, say, chicken wings, then it's going to be a little faster. Do
0: you know the origin story of chicken wings that makes this? situation even more bonkers
1: well chicken wings were created because they were getting thrown in the garbage
0: yes which nobody knows
2: so you basically take that conversation you share it with the team and an editor will then listen to it
0: i will turn off notifications and let the team know i'm I'm just settling in to listen to something for the next 25 minutes
2: the editor also looked over your questions so they know what you're you're getting at um and we'll give you feedback they'll say this makes sense this is great get rid of this move this there's lots of those little like wait so how should we phrase this even though you've done so much work on the front end thinking about what you want and you've spent time with the reporter an editor will walk in and say okay Great, so we need this person to re-record that. And so you go back to the reporter and you say, hey, can you get back under your pillow for it? and can you record an answer to a question that my editor has? (laughs) Um, So then we will edit things and people will listen to a draft of it. There will be a script, of course, and people will look for things like, is the draft of this conversation what we had originally envisioned it to be? Does it answer all of the questions that we originally had? Is it factually
0: correct? That fact-checking process is really, really crucial to making sure that everything on the podcast is something that we feel we can stand behind.
2: And then once you have your piece, we add music to it.
0: I'm definitely looking forward to the scoring portion of it. So, you know, spending some like uninterrupted hours just with... (laughs) a MIDI keyboard and, like, messing around in Pro Tools.
2: Then you eventually, you know, reach the final, final, final draft, which is then sent to someone else (laughs) who will, what we call, mix it and make it sound even more perfect. There's no weird breaths. There's no weird cuts. You control the volume, and I just... It makes me feel like an artist, I'm not going to lie. Like when you draw like a perfectly good fade and and you zoom out and you're like, look at this fade. (laughs) And that's what you hear on the show.
0: The voices you heard in that piece were... I'm Ariel Plodick. I'm Emma Telkoff. I'm
2: Jordan Marie Smith. My name is Lena Muhammad. I'm Rena Ford. I'm Sabi Robinson. My name is Ted Muldoon. I'm Maggie Penman. My name is Renee Spernoffsky, and I'm a producer. producer producer producer
0: producer producer at the Post. I'm the executive producer of Post Reports, the daily news podcast of the Washington Post. And this story was produced by Bishop Sand. Thank you so much to David for the question. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was mixed by Lena Mohammed. If you're a fan of the show, leave a review on your podcast app. We recently got a review from a listener with the username MathGuy1094. He said, quote, I discovered podcasts a few days ago, and it is changing my life. Podcasts are amazing. If you, too, feel this way, leave us a review. And thank you so much to MathGuy. We are so glad that you found us.